My name is Father Isaac Bradshaw. I'm an Anglican priest and an educator. And for as long as I can remember, I've been fascinated by the weird and the anomalous. Whether it's a deep dive into number station, or exploring stories from the paranormal, or just ruminating on everyday things and events that don't quite add up. But I never heard how Christian theology interacts with the oddities of our universe. So I decided to do it myself. Welcome to the church at Montauk. When I started grad school, I moved into my grandmother's house on a farm way, way out in the Tennessee countryside south of Knoxville. It was on 40 acres of cleared land and light forest on one of TVA's man-made lakes. I was 30 minutes from a Walmart in any direction, which in East Tennessee is an indication of how remote I actually was. When it rained, the satellite TV would go out. I would read, but needed some kind of audio to help keep my mind focused, so I bought a little shortwave radio and would spend time moving through the broadcast. A televangelist here, voice of Vietnam there, and BBC World Service when I wanted to feel erudite. Then one night, as I was cycling through the frequencies, I stumbled on a female voice obviously digitized, reading out a series of what seemed to be random numbers, followed by what sounded like an old modem sound. Then, it went off the air. I never found the broadcast again, but it sounded a bit like this. Nine, zero, four, zero, two, nine, zero, four, zero, two, nine, zero, I heard maybe three seconds of the numbers, and it was enough. What had I heard? Was I supposed to hear it? Was I going crazy? I didn't sleep that night, because I was seriously weirded out. I could watch horror movies all day long, but this, this was real. Because out in the middle of the Tennessee boondocks... I had found a number station. Number stations are shortwave radio stations that broadcast apparently random series of numbers or broadcast signals whose purpose is only known to the intended receiver. Several of these stations have become famous online since their signals come at a regular time and with a regular format. Now, their purpose isn't really a mystery. These stations are used by intelligence and diplomatic agencies to send coded instructions to agents. The numbers would correspond to what's called a one-time pad. The numbers are decoded, the message received, and then the code itself is destroyed. And since every message has its own code, it's virtually impossible for a counterintelligence agent to break the code. Unless, of course, you reuse the pad. Which is what happened. In 1998, the FBI arrested a ring of Cuban spies operating in Miami. Their communication with Havana was through what has since been called the Atencion Station, or the Spanish Lady Station. It got its name from, well, give it a listen. 
Atención. Now, if the spies had not reused the pad, it's likely that the code would never have been broken. But they did reuse it. And at that point, it was simply a matter of time before the FBI and CIA decoded and arrested the spies. Another famous station is the one named the Lincolnshire Poacher, used by the British Secret Service and operating out of the Royal Air Force Base in Akrotiri, Cyprus. The Lincolnshire Poacher was named because of the English folk tune of the same name being used as the signal that a broadcast was about to start. Here's a sample. The poacher started in the 1970s and likely was communicating to agents in the Mediterranean Basin, and then it stopped in June of 2008. A sister station called Cherry Ripe also used an English folk song as part of its signal, and it broadcast from Guam and Australia until about 2009, and was likely part of the same network of agents. One of the most mysterious of the number stations is the Russian UVB-76, or the buzzer. This station, instead of a scheduled series of numbers, constantly broadcast a buzzing sound over its frequency. Then, occasionally, a voice message is read in Russian while the buzzing continues. Its transmission site just outside of Moscow and near a central command and control center for the Soviet and now Russian military suggests the buzzing keeps the channel open for special messages. But this is where it gets a little wild. Because it appears that the buzzer is being broadcast on an open mic. As in, there's a machine making the noise, and the microphone is intended to pick up the buzzer sound from the separate machine. Listeners have heard full conversations in the background. Russian television, and in one case, a woman's scream. See if you can hear it. The mystery of the buzzer set off wild speculation regarding its purpose. And probably the most speculative was that the buzzer was part of an elaborate dead hand or perimeter defense system of the USSR. Simply put, it was thought that the Soviets had developed a system where, in the event of a nuclear attack and the destruction of Moscow, the buzzer would stop buzzing. And when it stopped buzzing, the dead hand system would launch all of the Soviet Union's ballistic missiles simultaneously on the United States and its allies. This, people speculated, was the ultimate deterrent. 
an attack on the USSR would result in the death of every human being on the planet. Now, it appears that was wrong. The buzzer was never part of a dead hand system, but nevertheless, the speculation and mystery of the station's operation has kept that theory alive. Most of us have never encountered one of these unless you've sought them out. And when they intrude into our regular mundane lives, they remind us that there is a whole separate world of the hidden and the secret operating without our knowledge and involvement. And on some level, it's best it stays that way. What our intelligence agencies do is dangerous and important work. Our speculation on their methods and activities has the potential to endanger their work, their lives, and those they serve. And over-speculating, especially with partial glimpses of evidence or without evidence at all, is a sure way to get your conclusions wrong. But even with this partial glimpse, occasionally people can arrange the data in the correct pattern. Case in point, starting in 1973, a number station called the Russian Woodpecker would broadcast a thumping noise repetitively and at seemingly random shortwave frequencies sent from deep inside the Soviet Union. The signal's sharp thumping noise and interference with known radio transmissions like oceanic air flight communications and amateur radio broadcast led to complaints of the signal from countries all over the world. The source was quickly triangulated to a specific location inside Soviet Ukraine. It was a then little-known industrial town called Chernobyl. Now, it became very clear very early on that the woodpecker wasn't really broadcasting a radio station, but was actually transmitting high-energy radar signals. These signals were so powerful that conspiracy theorists argued that the radar was being used for mind control experiments or were part of attempts to use the weather as a weapon. After the Chernobyl disaster in 1986, an even more extreme conspiracy theory erupted. That design flaws in the transmitter either created the disaster or that the destruction of Reactor 4 was itself part of a cover-up for the poor design of the radar transmitter. In any event, Interference from the radar decreased, and by 1989, just before the collapse of the Soviet Union, the transmissions ceased entirely. The Russian woodpecker was no more. But what was the reason for the radar itself? Well, it turns out the amateurs and the professionals got it right this time, and the conspiracy theorists as well, but only to a certain degree. The signal was part of an extensive, secret, and experimental over-the-horizon radar. The radar was used to give advanced and early warning to incoming missile attacks from the United States, not mind control or covering up a power plant meltdown. NATO, the Defense Intelligence Agency, amateur radio sleuths, and even the conspiracy theorists got it right. Its NATO name was Steel Yard, based on the 2,300-foot-long 500-foot-tall transmitter wall made of steel. To the Soviets, it was called Duga-1. Number stations remind us of a world that goes on unseen, hidden, and from day to day largely forgotten by most of the world. That's what makes it eerie and unsettling when 
either sought out or injected into our lives, we suddenly become re-aware of them. Because there's the world we experience, and then there's the world above and beyond us. A hidden and a known, an above and a below This is the world of the conspiracy theorist. Vast networked organizations, corporations, political entities, and levers of national government all working together to bring about a new world order. The motive, according to theorists like Alex Jones and David Icke, is to ensure the survival of a global elite by reducing the population of the poor and middle class through nefarious means. Vaccination, fluoridation of water, gun control, the Kennedy assassination, and the United Nations all link back to this mysterious group of elites working towards creating an enslaved class to better their own existence. At the heart of conspiracism is a perception of reality that is tempoled by first an assumption that objective intent can be determined from subjective results. Second, that the objective intent is hidden from public view. And third, that disparate groups and people are working in secret to advance that objective intent. For example, in 9-11 conspiracism, the objective results of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, like the global war on terror, the passing of the Patriot Act, the invasion of Iraq in March 2003, indicate the subjective intent of the actual attackers in the British administration. That is, to subvert the Constitution and engage in unwarranted invasions of other countries. This subjective intent had to be hidden from public view, and thus an objective action, the 9-11 attacks. To put it simply, instead of asking what happened, conspiracism asks who benefits. Now, if this is beginning to sound a little difficult to comprehend, you are not alone. Because conspiracism at its core relies on an old form of Neoplatonism called Hermeticism as a way of interpreting reality. In Hermeticism, the world is divided sharply between two planes of existence. The physical Monday world we see experience and a spiritual plane that is largely inaccessible to humanity. In that spiritual world dwells hidden forces like spirits and angels and demons that are imperceptible to human cognition. But Hermeticism also proposes that the two worlds are connected through analogies. This is the famous dictum from the Emerald Tablet, a 7th century text, and it reads as follows. That which is below is like that which is above, and that which is above is like that which is below. For the Hermeticist, the hidden world of the spirit and the known world of the physical are like for like. Whatever happens in the spiritual world has analog to an action in the physical and vice versa. An alchemist, for example, wanting to make a tincture to increase energy would pick marigolds and cinnamon at the appropriate time of day as those planets in specific times corresponded to the sun 
which in turn corresponded to the heart and the spiritual forces corresponding to the physical heart. Now, this creates a vast and complex system of correspondences between physical reality and the spiritual plane. These correspondences and techniques to understand these correspondences were hidden from the common eye, hence what we call the occult or hidden sciences. And after Christianity became the dominant religion of Europe and the Mediterranean, it was angels, not pagan spirits, that were assigned as the rulers and governors of the planets and stars. In this way, natural sciences and natural philosophers like Cornelius Agrippa began from a spiritual starting place. Health and well-being depended on the trial and error of finding the correct spiritual correspondence. So instead of wizards trying to make fire erupt from a wand, these hermeticists were more like spiritual geographers, charting out the spiritual connection between this world and the beyond. And occult spiritual practices such as astrology, tarot card reading, and ceremonial magic claimed to offer a way to communicate with those spirits and presences and gain insight into the physical correspondences. But it also worked the other way, as below, so above. Magicians and theurgists reasoned that the material correspondences could also manipulate the spiritual into either providing aid or knowledge to their pursuits. Instead of passively charting spiritual connections, these magicians sought to harness and control the spiritual forces for their own ends. In some cases, it was for forbidden knowledge. In other cases, for their own spiritual enlightenment or transformation into a being of pure spiritual power. After all, if you could control the above, you could control the below. And over time, Renaissance grimoires like the Lesser Key of Solomon and the Arbitel gave ceremonies and hidden symbols of the various spirits, angels, and demons that were intended to be summoned for specific ends. The Hermeticism of the Emerald Tablet underlines and undergirds the occultism of the 19th and 20th centuries. Taking their cues from esoteric societies like the Freemasons, occult initiatory groups promised adepts the ability to access the spiritual world at will, command, or at least work in harmony with, the spiritual world for the purpose of the great work, the alchemical transformation of the individual soul. Conspiracism works on the same principle. There exists a vast, unknowable, and imperceptible clique of sinister forces at work in our world. They are hidden, but with careful study and the right knowledge, an individual could learn to read the signs and analogies. Over time, though, instead of grimoires and handshakes, the signs and analogies became the newspaper or online twittering or deep analysis of news footage. The spirits contacted were no longer spirits and angels, but the priesthood of the modern West. Doctors, lawyers, politicians, the military and intelligence agencies. Higher level initiates and leaders impart hidden knowledge of objective intent by forming connections with those on the inside, 
And like a bizarre liturgy, conspiracists like Alec Jones affirm their listeners' own conclusions from studying the signs and analogies by an old improv comedy rule. The response to a listener is always, yes and, never a denial of the statement, no matter how ludicrous. Because there's always a piece of the larger, hidden puzzle waiting to be found. It's worth saying here that just as Hermeticism was kind of the water everyone swam in through the Middle Ages and into the scientific revolution, conspiracism forms an indelible part of the American story. The majority of Americans believe that Kennedy was assassinated by a conspiracy of some kind. And 60% of Americans believe in some form of conspiracy theory. In fact, Professor Bernard Balin points out that at the heart of our central founding document, the Declaration of Independence, is a conspiracy to deny freeborn men their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that conspiracy to deny our rights in nationhood stays the same throughout time, but the villains change. It was the British, and then the French, and then maybe the Freemasons, or abolitionists, Catholics, immigrants, anarchists, the civil rights movement, communists, or even extraterrestrial aliens. The spirits controlling the above cycle in and out, but the conspiracy theory always stays the same. At its very core, conspiracism undercuts basic Christian assertion regarding the manner of creation. The creation accounts of Genesis 1 and 2 relate a story of God's presence on earth, not separated past a veil, communicating through physical signs requiring interpretation. Instead, God communicates with his children through speech and interaction, an interaction that finds its ultimate expression in Jesus Christ, the Word, the ongoing conversation between God and his people made flesh. Jesus is Lord, and our fundamental trust is in him, not in our ability to read the signs. Christians do, in fact, have a plan that we trust, the plan for the resurrection and the hope of eternal life in a new Jerusalem, on a new earth, under a new heavens. Further, conspiracism denudes our own responsibility for the state of the world and our complicity in communal and personal sin. Conspiracism is often framed as a way of blaming an outside group for the individual's troubles, but that's not quite right. While it does create a faceless villain, what conspiracism enables in the life of the believer is a well-formed hero, the believer themselves. Like Neo from The Matrix, they become the one of their own movie. Awakened into the true nature of reality, they're able to take the fight to the villain who fills a kind of Lacanian role of partial object. It doesn't truly matter what or who the villain is. To the conspiracist, it matters only that the villain exists. A world in which there are clear villains and a clear hero that is the believer themselves is appealing. But being cast in your own movie also means creating supporting actors. 
but the supporting actors are also the stars of their own movie. And when the narrative collapses or the other actors don't read their lines right, the result is outward-directed rage. A Christian cannot love their neighbors and view them as merely supporting actors in their own movie. Conspiracism centers the individual, while the Christian gospel reorients believers to the reality of their own part in the failures of the world to live according to Christ's command, love one another. And herein lies the true danger of conspiracism. It's almost right. There are such things as conspiracies. Watergate, remember, was a conspiracy, and it wound up destroying Richard Nixon's presidency. Christians have no quibble with the idea of malignant spiritual forces active in our world, or that there are individuals and communities living in utter opposition to the gospel and the gospel's implication in the world. But conspiracism's almost rightness creates a false gospel that is also utterly opposed to the Christian good news. The Christian good news declares that liberation from these malignant spiritual forces must come from the outside, that our enslavement to sin is destroyed by someone else coming into our lives and setting us free. Conspiracism, on the other hand, offers a gospel that individuals are capable of freeing themselves as free moral agents in opposition to the dark forces keeping them in chains. Where there's sin, it's the sin of those in charge. No grace is necessary for the individual, so there's no resurrection. It's simply awake and do the work. In a time of increasing wariness of traditional institutions and instability in our own social fabric, the close similarity between the liberation of the gospel and the individualistic freedom envisioned by conspiracism creates a challenge for those called to pastor and minister in our churches. But that challenge isn't to find the secrets behind the number stations. Our challenge is to tune the noise from the signal, to live as people who have an immediate relationship with their Creator, unmediated by other spiritual forces and unmolested by dark conspiracies. The reason I think we're fascinated by things like number stations and the real-life dark arts of espionage is that it serves as a reminder that there is a threat from the unknown and the unknowable spiritual forces that are above, below, and with us. But the gospel tells us we are free from the control of spirits of the above or the council of foreign relations below. That's the freedom to know God's unmediated, knowable, and immediate purpose for your life. And that is to do true life. Besides, everyone knows the real villains behind the Kennedy assassination are... Nine, zero. Four, zero, two, nine, zero. 
And that's who really killed President Kennedy and why. I'm Father Isaac. That's it for this week. If you like this story, consider making a donation to the CIA Memorial Foundation, which serves to support the well-being and education of CIA families. You can do so at www.ciamemorialfoundation.org forward slash donate. And you can also hit us up on Twitter at Montauk Church or email us at thechurchatmontauk at gmail.com. And stay tuned for more adventures with The Church at Montauk. 